Hi, I'm Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Myers. I sat down with her at the Goop office before COVID, and we had a fascinating talk about gut health and autoimmunity. But before we get to our talk, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Kohler, who helped make today's episode possible. Having two young boys at home is a lot to keep up with, and lately I've noticed how quickly the house, especially the kitchen, gets cluttered, if we're being nice about it. I really appreciate ways to make cleaning up a little faster so I can relax sooner. The team at Kohler offers a range of kitchen and bath products that make cleaning easier. One kitchen upgrade from Kohler is a touchless kitchen faucet. It's completely hands-free, so it makes cooking and cleaning up feel a lot faster. And if you're washing your hands, you never have to touch the faucet in the process. That feeling of peace of mind extends from the kitchen to the bathroom with bidet seats, self-cleaning toilet technology, and the advanced cleansing features of intelligent toilets, all from Kohler. To explore their whole collection of clean kitchen and bath products, head to Kohler.com clean. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Amy Myers is a functional medicine practitioner and the New York Times bestselling author of The Autoimmune Solution and The Thyroid Connection. Today, we're talking about Amy's specialty, the gut. As she puts it, the gut is the gateway to health. We talk about how 75% of people with autoimmunity are women and why autoimmunity is spiking in children. Amy shares her personal health journey with mold and food sensitivities and why she believes so passionately in adjusting our environment to maintain the health of the microbiome. Amy shares how we can adjust our lifestyle for ourselves and our children in ways that go beyond food. We talk about mold exposure and tools for detoxing our home to remove factors that might harm our health. Most importantly, Amy reminds us, especially women, to be advocates for our own healing and the health of our communities. I never judge anybody about what decision they make in their life, if something's right or not right for them. It's really about hopefully giving people, you know, the tools to empower them to take back their health. Let's get to my chat with Amy Myers. So as someone who's one of the functional medicine stalwarts, like you've been in this for a while and you never went conventional to functional, right? Like you just grew up straight into functional medicine? Well, I actually was a conventional doctor for several years as an ER physician. But Mm. the difference is that I actually entered medical school knowing that I would, I didn't know it was called functional medicine at the time, but that I would be a functional medicine doctor. And I actually chose emergency medicine because I had looked and looked and looked and I'd done all my electives in integrative medicine and I just wasn't finding the home for me. And so I picked emergency medicine because I had been a Peace Corps volunteer in the middle of nowhere Paraguay. And so I knew that if I never found what I was looking for, that I could at least do international health or, you know, help people in third world countries. And also if I did find what I was looking for, I could gradually get out of the ER versus having a practice, trying to convert over a practice or leave a practice. And so my journey looks like it did not have a straightforward path, but it actually was very intentional. Yeah. Um, And I know you focus on autoimmune issues, gut issues, candida, the whole range of what happens when our, I guess, our microbiome. Does it all start with the microbiome? I mean, I know, obviously, autoimmune is hormonal, but like, do you think it all really comes down to gut? 
I do. I mean, I say that the gut is the gateway to health. And if your gut is not healthy, likely you are not healthy either. And I think that it really is the future of medicine. And as literally daily, they're discovering more and more about the microbiome and how there are more cells in us and on us. And there are of our own cells. And we're really just a puppet with the bugs, you know, telling us what to do. So I, I, really do believe that it begins with the gut. I mean, and then particularly with autoimmunity, they're now believing cancer, other chronic illnesses with leaky gut. And, you know, many people say, well, why aren't all the GI doctors talking about leaky gut? And it's estimated that it takes about 18 years for research that is found in the literature to make its way into clinical practice. And we're not even quite at that 18-year mark with leaky gut. And so there are drug companies right now literally racing to have zonulin blockers, which is zonulin is, is a molecule that gets released and, and keeps those tight junctions open. And I keep saying as soon as someone, you know, has that zonulin blocker, it's gone through trials and patented, and they're, you know, knocking on your GI doctor's door, every GI doctor is going to be talking about leaky gut. Mm -hmm. And it's leaky gut, I feel like, is still one of those things that people are like, it's not real. Right. Like well, it's a fake thing. Exactly. Just like gluten sensitivity, right? right? But soon, once, you know, and there are, I don't know what stage clinical trials they're in, but there are several drug companies that have, uh, are in trials for their zonulin blockers. And, you know, mark my words, once they have that patented and they have drug reps, everybody will be talking about leaky gut and their zonulin blocker. So can you ex explain for people who are unfamiliar exactly what, what's happening and how permeable that lining is? Yes. So our gut um, sits together with these tight junctions, and these are villi where we digest and absorb our food. And normally our gut is semi-permeable. I mean, it's how little teeny tiny micronutrients and macronutrients get in, and it's how we absorb our food. As we bombard our system with certainly gluten, dairy, stress, infections, toxins, these tight junctions break apart. Zonulin is a molecule that I was mentioning. The thought is, or the research shows that when you eat gluten, it actually causes zonulin to be released. And zonulin then causes these tight junctions to open and stay open. Mm. So I like to think of the gut as a drawbridge. You know, the little teeny tiny boats that are meant to get through do. They don't need any special signals. But the large boats like large molecules, such as gluten or casein or infections like Epstein-Barr are not meant to get through that drawbridge. But when it's open, they can. And then our gut is only one cell layer thick. And right below it is nearly 60 to 80% of our immune system. So as something like gluten comes through that drawbridge that's wide open, then your immune system sees it. It goes on high alert, you know, attack it. This is a foreigner. Now, the catch-22 is that gluten can look very similar to some of our own body's tissues, like the thyroid gland mm -hmm. and the thyroid molecules. And so it's called molecular mimicry. It's a case of mistaken identity. So as that gluten comes through, the immune system goes on high alert to attack it. As it goes to attack it, it might accidentally attack your thyroid gland because the molecules look so similar and your immune system is going so haywire. And that's one of the forefront theories behind how autoimmunity begins. Certainly, you know, Hashimoto's, Graves, things like that. That it starts with a gluten. Well, it starts, with, it starts a with a leaky gut. gut and it starts with a leaky gut and then the, then molecular mimicry and the body getting confused or the immune system getting confused. There are many infections like Epstein-Barr that also look like our body tissue. So it's the same theory. It could be anything from an infection to a food uh, that looks like one of our body tissues and the immune system goes on high alert. So it starts, mm -hmm. the belief is that it starts with leaky gut. And then these molecules that were not meant to get into our system because they're large and they were never meant to pass through, now those drawbridges are open and they can get through, the mm -hmm. immune system's right there, it goes on high alert, and then again, these molecules can look similar to our, some of our body tissues, and through this case of mistaken identity or molecular mimicry, it that body tissue gets attacked by the immune system. So I want to talk about autoimmune, but before we get to that, sort of when you're when people are still hypothetically still well, like maybe just slightly leaky gut or minimal leaky gut. How do you suggest that people eat? Like, do you think that no one should eat gluten? Or is it like if you do an elimination diet and you feel like you don't have an adverse reaction to gluten? Like, what's the, what's the line for you? Yeah. Well, the line for me is probably very different than a lot of people. But Alessio Fasano, who is the person who actually discovered zonulin, in his research, he believes, and he eats gluten himself. I've interviewed him a few times. But he his research shows that every time anyone eats gluten, that it causes leaky gut. But our gut cells are constantly turning over and repairing themselves every 24, 48 hours, and that a healthy individual can theoretically repair that gut. 
gut. And someone who's not healthy or someone who has genetic SNPs or propensity towards gluten sensitivity and certainly celiac, that they wouldn't be able to repair that gut as quickly. So, you know, what I advise people is that you know, if there's a family history of autoimmunity, certainly a first degree relative, I personally wouldn't recommend eating it because you are at a higher risk of developing an autoimmune condition. The studies show that through identical twins, that 25% of it is genetics and 75% is environment. And so what is that 75%? That's the things like leaky gut. That's the things like the foods we're eating. Mm -hmm. That's toxins, infection, stress. And so there's no guarantees in life, right? Like why does somebody who does all this terrible stuff, nothing happens to them. Everybody who does something right, you know, has all this horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but the research is out there that gluten does cause leaky gut and the wheat that we're eating these days has much more gluten in it than, than right. our ancestors had. We're getting more exposure to gluten. It's in everything. Once we learn to deamianate gluten, which meant that we can now make it water soluble. Now it's in our shampoos to fake crab meat to sunscreen. I mean, it's, it's lipstick. It, it's in so many things that we are getting bombarded with it everywhere we turn. And then the bread products, if you are eating, you know, wheat products, they are filled because we've hybridized our wheat. There's more gluten in them than there used to be from, say, what our grandparents were eating. Because it's a protein, right? So it it increases the protein Mm -hmm. count of bread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend whose son is celiac, and they are in perpetual lockdown because of the, like, sort of the inability to contain exposure. And it's terrifying. And then my husband is gluten intolerant and then he'll but he'll be like I'm in so much pain but I like I just ate a poke bowl and I'm like soy sauce right it's in everything everything and you have to be so careful I mean I consider myself obviously this is what I do for a living and I mean I get you know duped at restaurants too even after I you know I'll say three times I mean the first words out of my mouth are I'm gluten and dairy intolerant you know I mean literally it's the first word out of my mouth in a restaurant and I'll still get served stuff and you know it's like if it looks too good to be true if it you know looks like there's a brown sauce on there you've got to question everything right and then there. And then extreme, like it becomes extreme and orthorexia is like certainly something. I mean, I I have friends who are maniacal, I would say, almost about like how they eat. But and I am assuming in certain instances that's required. But like what's is and maybe you're the wrong person to ask because I know you're the strictest. But is there like let's say you have a gluten sensitivity and you are exposed to gluten once a week. Is that so problematic? I have several things to say about that. One is, you know, my feeling is, and what I have people do in all of my books, The Autoimmune Solution, Thyroid Connection, is to have people remove all what I consider to be inflammatory and toxic foods for 30 days. And then depending on where you are on what I call the autoimmune spectrum, you know, add these foods back in. If you're Mm -hmm. high and you've been diagnosed with autoimmunity, I would not probably add back in gluten or dairy because of the mm-hmm. research that's out there. 40 to 60% of the people with a gluten issue have a dairy issue because of that casein is very similar to the gluten molecule and through that molecular mimicry process. So I don't recommend they add it back in. If you're someone who's not you know, very high on that spectrum, you might be able to add those foods in. But the point of what I do is to help people really understand what are their absolute no foods. Mm-hmm. So mine are absolutely gluten and dairy. I do typically eat more of a paleo diet. I went to India a few years ago. It's a vegetarian country. So I ate grains and legumes while I was there, but I didn't go anywhere near gluten or dairy. I mean, I know what my absolute no's are, that it is just a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to you know stressors in your life, toxins in your life, foods in your life, what we choose to do is, you know, we purify our water from the shower water to the water that we drink. We have HEPA filters in our home. We eat only organic. Of course, our house and my office is exclusively gluten-free. But then, you know, when you go out into the world, because we all need to go out into the world and you need to live in the world and somebody doesn't have filtered water, I don't freak out about it because... 80% 80% of the time, oh, Wi-Fi too. You know, we've, we've hardwired our house. So my stepmother was just saying the other day, oh, well, they got us. You know, what's the point? I said, well, the point is for 12 hours a day while you're sleeping, you don't have it on in your own home. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting that break. You know, the EPA estimates that indoor air quality is five to 100 times more toxic than outdoor air quality because of all the flame retardants and formaldehydes and stuff in cheap furniture that we buy. And so, and our homes aren't breathing. They're all energy efficient now. And so my belief is if you can do these things and get a break from the rest of the world, the Wi-Fi, the toxic air, the toxic food, the toxic things, that then you can travel to LA and you, I don't eat gluten and dairy, but I, you know, eat and I eat non-organic foods because every restaurant that you go to is not going to have organic. And I try to get filtered water, but 
Mm-hmm. If I don't have some in my hotel room, I'll drink out of the tap. I mean, it's just, it's finding that balance. But to me, finding the balance is knowing what are your absolute no's, not everything's an absolute no. Right. So back to your question about the, you know, can you eat the gluten? The idea is if you're someone who's sensitive to gluten, and certainly if you're a celiac, but if you're sensitive to gluten, that it can stimulate your immune system for up to three months if you eat it. Mm. And so if you figure, oh, I eat it at my birthday, Christmas, Easter and, you know, the 4th of July, you've never given your immune system a break. So I'm not a, I'm I'm really that believer. And that's what all of my programs are meant to do is really to teach you whether it's a toxin to a stressor in your life, to a food, you know, what are your absolute no's? What are your non-negotiables? And you just go through the world and know those are your non-negotiables and everything else you do your best. Yeah. In my experience too, when I've done any sort of cleanse or taken, I'm mine is dairy, but then I like work myself up to eating dairy. But when I do eat it for the first time after I've successfully eliminated it, it's very punishing. It's, it's, you'd think it would be enough, right? Right. <laughs> I get a mild headache after char- chocolate, but I am known to eat dark chocolate. So, right. you know, I mean, we're all human. I know the research about gluten. I mean, you, we were just mentioning, you know, my daughter, I don't give her gluten or dairy. I mean, I've done some testing on her. I know she's sensitive, but you know, also I just, you know, I, I know the research out there and they're the two most inflammatory foods. And so in a restaurant, I'm sure if she gets some cross, you know, contamination, things like that, it's not devastating, but we do avoid it. I mean, our, our home is. What, if, when, what happens when she goes to a birthday party and they serve her Domino's pizza? Oh, well, <laughs> She, I bring food. We bring food everywhere. I mean, if you go downstairs or cars parked downstairs, we have a little cooler full of food. I mean, we, we travel, I travel with food. I mean, the first thing we did was go to Whole Foods as soon as we arrived here. And we typically stay in a hotel near Whole Foods, but I make cupcakes for her. So it doesn't, you know, they're gluten-free, dairy-free. They have sugar in them, but I, you know, she gets a cupcake. She's legit never had a piece of candy before. That's amazing. So you were, you were asking about the cotton candy. She saw Santa at the mall the other Plug day. Plug your ears. Yeah. And he had a candy cane and I let her have like a little tiny piece. That's the only piece of candy she's ever had. Wow. So she doesn't know what Halloween is. Look, there's going to be a point where I cannot avoid that, right? I mean, yeah. I just cannot. So while I can, why would I need to, you know, just indulge her in Halloween, there was a, in our neighborhood, they did a costume parade, which was great. And then we just headed on home because you know, to like tell her about candy and then tell her when I'm not giving her the candy. And I mean, there'll be a point. She goes to a Montessori school, so they don't really celebrate those types of things. So it's not like they go in a costume or that kind of stuff. And so that helps, right? I mean, I assume once they're in school and just everybody's talking about it, it's difficult to avoid. But we eat gluten-free, dairy-free pizza. And we actually went to a Halloween party and they were having pizza. So she had a leftover piece of gluten-free, dairy-free pizza. And I brought it with her and she didn't even, and there was candy all over the table. She didn't even know what it was. Right. That's amazing. Yes. And she really doesn't even eat gluten-free, dairy-free pizza often. I mean, she eats what we eat. And that's, you know, one of the biggest values I wrote the Autoimmune Solution Cookbook and I dedicated it to both of my parents because I grew up eating very healthy food as a child. Um, I mean, TV dinners were, were introduced when I was a kid and my brother liked them. I never ate them, but my parents, my mother made real whole wheat bread when I was growing up. She made yogurt. She knew it was good for your gut. We shopped, the Whole Foods wasn't even around then, but we shopped at the local co-op. Um, we had sprouts, we had a garden. And so, and then at 14, I became a vegetarian. I grew up on brown rice and tofu and vegetables. And so that's really honestly the greatest gift that they gave me that once, you know, I now, like I said, I, we don't really have grains in our home, but I didn't have to go from eating Twinkies or fast food or frozen food to eating healthy food. I switched from eating brown rice and tofu and beans every day and lots of vegetables and fruit to eating, continuing my vegetables and fruit and switching it out for animal protein. And so that's really what I feel that that I've instilled in my daughter so far. And what is really important to me is that she just, you know, the reason that children eat mac and cheese is because somebody's introduced it to them. Right. If you don't ever introduce it, then their taste buds are for vegetables and... Right chicken and I know I yeah. would I, I <laughs> there's I no fail. judging I'm just it's how I, it's how I was raised and so it's it's what I've done I mean yeah. you know I'm sure there's some judgment about how I'm doing it so I have no judgment no. about how anybody else is doing it. I agree I feel like it's such a it's so low I think for moms it's also loaded like what are you 
how are you poisoning your kids or what are you not doing for them? And I think we're all honestly trying to do the best we yeah. can. I'm sure that all the other mothers in the neighborhood thought it was completely crazy that she didn't trick or treat, right? And I'm sure at some level they were all judging me that that was wrong. Right. That I was, you know, depriving her of trick or treating. She'll trick or treat, you know, yeah. when she's older. I'm sure at some point right. to let the horse out of the right. stable, right? Yeah. It's a hard one. Yeah. But she's little. Right. I mean, she doesn't – my yeah. thought is she's little. I don't need to force it on her. No. When there's no way to avoid it, of course we'll go trick-or-treating. Yeah. And then we'll just do the switch-witch or whatever it is that people do. Oh, yeah. She also might find – my um, oldest, he self-limits candy because it makes him throw up. Yeah. I mean, so. that's the thing. I mean, people – she knows she has actually a sensitivity to garlic, which is so difficult. But she's like, oh, it has garlic in it. I can't have that one. I mean, that in my clinic, that I found that all the time. And people would say, oh, the children – you know, it's got to be so difficult to work with the children. When, when they're really little and they can't understand, but when they're old enough to understand when I eat that, I get the stomach ache, they're the ones policing their parents saying, no, I can't have that because they know how they feel. And that's really what I try to teach in all of my programs is just how does something impact you? There's no judgment on, you know, for somebody, peanut butter or corn could be way worse or tofu could be way worse for somebody than gluten is. And so mm-hmm. it's really just understanding what those things are for yourself. Do you think that kids are more in tune with that? just because they eat in some ways more mindfully and less emotionally? Like, do you think we, I, I mean, I eat emotionally probably oh, yeah, like many me. people. I think most people do. Yeah. And At it's least like, most women do. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's certainly a factor I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's probably cleaner and easier for them to directly connect how they feel with what they've eaten. Whereas I think for, for me, I'm I'm like, I just am having a shitty day, yes, and I feel but, shitty. Yes, and I'm having that chocolate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's fine. We all do that. Just if you're a person <laughs> with autoimmunity, don't do it with gluten. Go get it with some gluten-free bread or go get a gluten-free I cupcake. Know. There are so many good alternatives yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so easy now. So autoimmunity, over the span of your career, do you feel like it's spiking? Do you feel like it's always been underdiagnosed, and now people have a better understanding of it? So the research is showing that there's been a threefold increase over the last 50 years. It's affecting, you know, between 50 to 75 million Americans, 250 people, million people worldwide. You know, to put it in perspective, cancer is only affecting about 15 million worldwide. So it's enormous. What I've noticed in the last 10 years of, of practicing is not necessarily an increase, though I'm, I'm sure that there certainly has been an increase, but what I'm noticing is people younger and younger. Mm. You know, when I write about my daughter or something, now I have more mothers following me. You know, it classically is women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. You know, it's 75% of people with autoimmunity are women. We believe it's because of hormonal changes. You know, this shifting of estrogen and progesterone tends to happen at times of, you know, either birth, uh, delivery, post-pregnancy, perimenopause, menopause. But I'm just seeing the number of people reaching out to me with children with autoimmunity. And that is just, Hmm. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, really, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And what is that? What are those typical diagnoses? Is it celiac or? Rheumatoid arthritis, thyroid conditions, Mm. alopecia, which is, you know, losing all your hair. I mean, it really can be anything, but those are ones that kind of stick in my mind that I've heard a lot of. And just, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's devastating that it's happening to so many younger children now. We'll get back to Dr. Amy Myers in just a second. Right now, it feels more important than ever to create moments of relaxation and restoration in my daily routine. I find that I feel so much more relaxed and more deserving of a nightly glass of wine when my home feels clean. We've been working with the team at Kohler for a long time. They also believe in creating more of these relaxing moments. They believe that clean is a universal feeling and that the little moments of joy matter. Kohler designs products that make cleaning easy and they optimize products and experiences that give you that greater feeling of a clean slate. Among their many home innovations, Kohler makes hands-free faucets for the kitchen. You can wash your hands or food without touching the faucet, which makes cooking and cleaning feel much more efficient. There's no more hunched over with your elbow trying to get the water running while your hands are full. 
That ease and peace of mind extends from the kitchen to the bathroom with bidet seats, self-cleaning toilet technology, and the advanced cleansing features of intelligent toilets, all from Kohler. To explore their whole collection of clean kitchen and bath products, head to Kohler.com clean. Finding routines that work and then sticking to them has helped me keep it together since working from home became the new normal. I set reminders for daily walks and even daily showers, seriously. I also make sure to block off time to sit down and eat meals with my family, even if it's quicker than I would want it to be. One thing that obviously makes breakfast, lunch, and dinner at home easier is having some already made meals on hand. And if you're looking for a delivery option, try Sakara Life's Organic Nutrition Program. They deliver fresh, ready-to-eat meals nationwide and right to your door. Their menu of chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly and is designed to support overall health. All of their meals are organic, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, and contain no refined sugar. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com goop or enter code goop20 at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash goop to get 20% off your first order. Back to my chat with Amy Myers. You talked about HEPA filters and sort of controlling controlling your environment when you're home as much as possible. And I feel like while that might be perceived as extreme to some people, I think it's become very common for for all of us. Yeah. You know, just living through yet another fire season in California. Everyone has sort of chest coughs. My kids have been puking. I mean, we live right by a burn and we're evacuated, but, and now they're, you know, testing our house for soot and ash and HEPA vacuuming everything. And you can taste it, you know, Mm. and breathe it. But I think just with climate change and the prevalence of these fires and floods and the same day that happened, my friend's brother's house in Dallas was hit by a tornado. I mean, this is our new reality. Our new normal. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they think my HEPA filters are extreme, we're building a house in Santa Fe, which is being built out of pumice crete. And, you know, it will be a house where if there are fires, people will evacuate to our to our house because, you know, it will have nothing flammable. We all have no wood. I've lost everything I own to toxic mold twice. Mm. I've gotten very, very sick when I was writing the thyroid connection. I got very sick. I was sleeping on a balcony for a month because I got so chemically sensitive to things. So I'm much better. And, you know, now I'm like, oh my God, we're building this house in Santa Fe. But we you know, spared nothing. There'll be no wood in the house. There'll be no sheetrock in the house. It's all going to be basically pumice crete and cement so that we, I don't hopefully ever have a mold issue again. What was the, what happened with the mold and how did you determine that you were sick? Yeah. Well, I'm like a kid in a candy store with, uh, with lab testing, being a doctor, I'm constantly testing everything. The first time, you know, it was, it was very obvious I had bought an older home and I just wasn't clued into mold. And so it was very obvious that there was a problem there. And I got out immediately. The second time I actually had met my husband, well, we were dating at the time and I eventually moved in with him and he was in a brand new house and I started not feeling well and he had a cat and it was a brand new house. And so I thought it was just the off gassing of all the new stuff. We get married and and just, you know, I'm noticing just some things are not right. I'm getting these rashes and my hands are swelling and turning red and I'm checking some autoimmune markers and I see that they're creeping up. And I mean, I have checked everything, my gut, you know, just everything, heavy metal levels, everything was normal and fine. And so I had the house tested. We never could find it. We thought it was in the shower. We opened it up. We couldn't find it. But within, you know, getting out, I got really, really sick after I got out and then I progressively got better. And so it's just one of those things I can really tell when I'm in a moldy environment, I'm extremely sensitive to it. So a lot of times I can just walk in somewhere and, you know, know that it's- You're you know, like a mold medium. Yeah. They yeah. should just take, but, they should give you a yeah, TV no, show. There's a true mold medium <laughs> in uh, Austin who's amazing and she's helped me a lot, but yeah, I'm not quite that good. But yes, I have told a patient that, that you know, I've told several patients, but I remember one in particular that came to see me and, you know, been everywhere, couldn't figure out what was going on. And I said, look, I'm just going to let you know when I'm exposed to toxic mold, I'm, I get in a rash and I'm in a rash around you. So my guess is that you have toxic mold in your environment. And sure enough, they went home and had the place tested. And so, yes, I mean, I'm not for better or worse. I'm not nearly as sensitive as I used to be. I've done many, many things to help myself get well. My latest is hyperbarics. I have a hyperbarics machine in my house 
And so I love I'm that. I'm coming over. Yeah. I'm so, living right in. I know. Like really. Um, <laughs> I have a, all kinds of gadgets. But anyway, so that I real, really feel like significantly helped me get better. And so I'm not nearly as sensitive I, as I used to be, which is for better or worse. So now I can't always you know, pick up in environments, but it's, of course, much more lovely to not find people actually toxic. Yes, right. Where you're like, you and, are... And to be able to intolerate <laughs> environments and travel. Where do you think that that sensitivity came from? Uh, well, genetically, I have a predisposition. About 25% of the population has a predisposition where they cannot clear. So there's mold allergies, which is the person who gets the hay fever and the runny nose and the, you know, the, the allergies when the molds come out. I don't have that. I have that I get more of a histamine type reaction and I don't clear the, the VOCs or the mycotoxins. So there are molds everywhere. And so that's when people say, oh, molds are everywhere. There's nothing wrong with molds. Well, there's nothing wrong with a lot of molds for a lot of people, but there are certain types of molds that actually give off gases, VOCs, volatile, mm-hmm. you know, organic compounds called mycotoxins. And those can be toxic to 25% of the population where they just cannot clear them from their body. And so they build up. And so it's been a very, an underlying part of many people's autoimmune disease that I've seen, many, many people with autoimmunity that I've seen. So my husband was totally fine. I mean, in fact, his, when we checked our levels in our bodies, his mold levels in his bodies, mycotoxin levels were much higher than mine, but he was fine. I mean, he, he, you know, can clear his and, you know, I, I can't clear mine. So, so I was being affected and, you know, poor guy, you know, gave up everything he owned, you know, to, to be with me. I, yeah, I had him get rid of everything. And you found a house that doesn't have mold. And we found a house that doesn't have mold, but we were in and out of apartments for a long time. Finally found a house that doesn't have mold, and then we're, you know, building a house, so hopefully we don't have, you know, this problem. But we have dehumidifiers. We live in Austin. It's very humid, so we keep the the um, humidity level very low in our home to help, you know, prevent if there's a, you know, if something were to happen. But, Just you know, we're in a moisture. traditional home that has sheetrock and wood and, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. So HEPA filters, but do you, and then if people can't get that, do you recommend just sort of having an air purifier? Yeah. So, I mean, HEPA filters, so, I mean, you can, of course, go to extremes if you're building your own home, like we'll do, or you can even retrofit things. Um, but if you don't, we were in apartments. And so we just got Aquasana was, you know, the water filter that we got. You can put it on your shower. It's very inexpensive. I mean, you can get a whole house filter. But if you can't afford that, you're in a situation that that's not viable for you. You're, you know, there's just no way to do that in your home without, you know, going through the sheetrock or something. So there's, you know, relatively inexpensive ways. You can get shower filters, water filters for your tap, HEPA filters. I mean, even a Target sells a HEPA filter. I mean, it's one of those things you got to do your research. The more expensive ones, you don't need to change the filters as often. The cheaper ones, you might need to change the filters more often. So you really got to kind of, the air filters that I use are either IQ Air. They're probably the best on the market. They're the most expensive on the market or Austin Air. Mm -hmm. Those are two really good ones. Or you can just get, you know, one at Home Depot or Target that are much less expensive, but you have to change the filters more often like Honeywell or, Mm -hmm. you know, a brand like that, uh, water filters, you know, eating organic. Again, if you're not in a place where you can afford organic or that it's available to you, looking at the EWG.org, the Environmental Working Group, looking at the Dirty Dozen, the Clean 13, looking at the list and making your choices. You know, I know not to eat strawberries out because likely they're not organic or celery. And, you know, those things are rather, you know, they're the highest pesticide laden. And so, you know, those are foods that if you're eating out or you can't afford to get them or they're not available to you, maybe just skip those and opt for foods that are lower on the list that, you know, are available to you even when they're conventionally grown. Avocados, they're relatively clean. So, you know, it's difficult. They're very expensive over the summer. You know, I didn't worry about getting my avocados organic if Mm -hmm. I, you know, couldn't get them organic. So it's, it's kind of, you know, picking those choices when it comes to food. If you're a person that does eat animal protein, you know, that's a place that I would, you know, spend money and, you know, get organic, get grass fed, get pasture raised because they're higher on the food chain. So if they're eating, you know, GMOs and soy and corn and, and then, you know, you'll be eating those things. And so, you know, the higher up on the food chain, you would want to obviously to the best of your ability, make that cleaner than something that's lower down on the food chain. So it's about, you know, and of course, all of my books talk about this, my website has mm-hmm. you know, abundance of information that is all free to just help people make these choices because it it is difficult out there these days to you know navigate things and there's so many buzzwords now that you know you know is it truly grass fed you I mean is grass fed and grass finished i mean there are a lot of buzzwords now that you know to frankly kind of trick people to yeah you no. know and confuse people it's so confusing i mean how do you think ultimately it was interesting just in the process of going through this fire remediation right now. 
and they can't, and a uh, third party came and pulled tape strips around her house and then evaluated it for soot and ash. And some parts of the house have like 12% soot and ash. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. And essentially, you know, they want it to be sub 1%, but they said like there's no governing agency. There are no federal requirements. There's no – so much of this is just completely – unknown and they don't know how toxic it is there were houses that burned so that's that's our concern sort of the particulate and yeah because if they had computers and electronics which yeah. of course every house is going to have it, it's Plastic. like ground, yeah, yeah it's like ground zero right i mean it's like you know many of the people from the first responders you know have ended up with cancer because of you know because of the material that they that they were digging through so i mean i you know this is not something fortunately knock on wood we've had to deal with at least in the area that i'm in in texas so this is you know uncharted territory but that yeah. sounds you know and then, and would then not, you would not be pleased. I would not be pleased. I definitely would not be <laughs> You're pleased. You're not spending the night in our guest yes. room. <laughs> uh, right. And then when, when they clean it, how do you, you know, how do you know that it's been cleaned and, and, and what are they testing for? If they're only testing for soot and ash, is there something to test for the plastics? The, right. I mean, we actually had looked at a different wall building system for our house in Santa Fe, something called Baltex. I'm not trying to knock them. It may be a wonderful product. And I was planning to use it, but it's a, it's a cement block. And many of the cement blocks, then they have styrofoam in them and it's cement and styrofoam. And they say that it's fully encased, but I just started thinking to myself, what if there was a fire or what if, I don't know at what point, even if I can tolerate it, like I smell it and I see it and I feel fine around it. What if something cures or it heats up to the level that there's something being emitted from the styrofoam that I can't see or smell and it's toxic? And so, you know, in Santa Fe, a lot of people use something called pumicecrete, which is all natural. You do need to worry about some radiation, but once you put the plaster on, it's, you know, but we got to get out there with the Geiger counter. I mean, everything has a problem. Anyway, my <laughs> point being that that I was worried about the, you know, the styrofoam. And even if I couldn't see it or feel it or smell it, could it heat up or break down over time that could be a problem for me and my family? And I, there wasn't, there's not enough research or enough data and nobody could answer that question for me. Yeah. So I just passed, you know, I changed it all at the last minute. So what else are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of like candida, SIBO, like what, what's happening in your practice? Well, I've retired from clinical practice. Uh So after my daughter was born and my father died the same year. So I opted to, to focus and then getting sick with toxic mold. So I opted just really to focus on programs and books and, you know, reaching, we have about 600,000 people on our newsletter list. And so just trying to, you know, reach people from around the world, which has been incredible. I thought it was going to be really difficult to give up my practice. I had a thousand people on my waiting list when I when I, we let them know that I was not coming back to clinical practice, and I thought it would be very difficult, and in some ways it has. I can't help as many people as deeply as I would like to, but I'm able to help so many more people. I mean, we have a Slack channel at, at the office that is, I may mean, have goosebumps, a Slack channel of just, and of course, social media of just every day, you know, people saying I was in Home Goods over the last weekend, and somebody walked up and said, you know, you saved my life. And mm-hmm. so it's really, it's still so rewarding and so satisfying. And so I now manufacture my own supplement line as well. So I was having difficulty when I was in my practice, getting everything I needed. And so I started that process there and that's just continued and continued. And I now have a team of 35 people and we're... Oh my God, you're taking over the world. Building out a new building and a metal building and going to do move fulfillment in-house so that can be a better experience for people. So yeah, I mean, we're wellness and lifestyle brand now of offering, you know, recipes and articles. We have an article every week that goes out one or two just with, you know, free information about all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Very active newsletter and very active social media pages, just hoping to educate people, right? I mean, that's really the thing. I, I never judge anybody about what decision they make in their life, if something's right or not right for them. It's really about hopefully giving people, you know, the tools to empower them to take back their health. And that's fundamentally what I want to do. When you, I'm sure you probably don't know this to a degree of accuracy, but when you think about your mailing list, would you say that, what percentage of those people do you think are sick? Well, you know, interestingly, in the beginning, everybody was sick. I mean, that's, everybody found me through a book or through something and they were sick. And the dynamic has actually shifted that we now have many more people who are just looking for, for preventative wellness that, or maybe haven't even been diagnosed. You know, the average time to get a diagnosis of an autoimmune disease. So there are over a hundred autoimmune conditions and it takes 
six to 10 different doctors over five years to get a diagnosis. And that's if you're lucky. I mean, that's if somebody, you have positive antibodies. There are all these people on the spectrum. The antibodies can come up five years before the disease comes out or longer. Mm-hmm. And you know, doctors don't check your antibodies unless they have a real reason to. I would check people's antibodies you know, and, and be telling people, look, you know, you can, you can work your way back down the spectrum and never have this ever become a disease. But we've identified that you have antibodies, meaning your body's beginning to attack itself. So let's get on this program. So, you know, I, I hope that we're reaching those people. I know that, you know, we're reaching people who are well or are interested in preventing, you know, illness. And I would imagine there's an enormous number of people who have yet to be diagnosed, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody who's, they saw their mother or their sister or their aunt or somebody go through this terrible terrible, prolonged illness, and they don't want that. And so that's why they're there. Yeah. I mean, I certainly think awareness is rising. And I think women are understanding that they have to advocate aggressively for themselves still. I mean, hopefully at some point this will change. But I think when you have people like Selma Blair come forward with her multiple sclerosis, I think Mm -hmm. it took her, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how many, it might have taken a decade for her to get her diagnosis to the point where it's debilitating. Right. That's how modern, I mean, conventional medicine does it, right? I mean, I've literally had people say, oh, you don't have celiac yet. You're beginning. But, you know, once you have it, come back and then we'll tell you to get off wheat. It's like, what? (laughs) I mean, Oprah says, I think she she was 10 different doctors or something. She has Hashimoto's. And she says, you know, I'm Oprah and it took me this long. You know, I mean, what is happening to the rest of the world if you're not advocating? I mean, my story is that I was having weight loss, panic attacks, insomnia, and then eventually a tremor. And my friends in med school said, you need to go to the doctor. And I go to the doctor and she's like, oh, you're a second year med student. You just think you have everything that that you're learning about. I mean, I got blown off. Mm -hmm. We women get blown off. And the thing about autoimmunity is so many autoimmune diseases, they ebb and flow and they ebb and flow. And fatigue, it's a huge, you know, fatigue is huge for autoimmunity. Well, what woman isn't tired, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, or it's coming at a time after you've just delivered or you're going through perimenopause. So many of these symptoms, particularly as they're coming and going, can be, oh, you're a new mom. Of course, your hair is falling out. Of course, you can't, you know, lose the 10 pounds. Of course, you're exhausted. Well, no, I mean, maybe you have Hashimoto's too, right? I mean, maybe you just, you know, that was the thing that set you over the edge and your Hashimoto's is just coming out. But it's easy to brush us off and it's easy to brush it off as, you know, worst case scenario. I mean, how many patients did I hear that were told they were crazy? Yeah. And they weren't. And so, you know, 75% of the people with autoimmunity are women. And we're the women getting blown off. We're the people getting told it's just fatigue, it's just old age, or, you know, Worst case scenario, you're crazy. And so that's another thing that I just teach people. Do not give up. I mean, go in and demand. Many states now in Texas, you do not need a doctor to order your labs. I have the list of the labs in my books. You can look at articles, tell you exactly what to order on yourself. Or these labs have popped up, like any lab test now. I, I don't, you know, Alta labs. There are a lot of labs that have catered to people who are interested in, in you know, learning you know, finding this stuff out. So if you cannot afford to go to a functional medicine doctor, you don't have a functional medicine doctor. I mean, I have people who, you know, who do the books and that's, you know, what they do because they can afford the $10 of the book and that's what they do. And those to me are the most beautiful success stories, right? I mean, of the people who, there was a woman that I met that had, she was never a patient of mine, but she said she spent $30,000. She'd been to, she didn't know umpteen how many doctors. She finally found a book for $10 online, The Autoimmune Solution. And with, you know, within weeks she was better and within, you know, months she was quote unquote cured. Yeah. And so, you know, those to me, I mean, again, I have goosebumps. Those to me are the real success stories. I had my thyroid ablated. Conventional medicine failed me. It is my mission to not have it fail other people as well. And I didn't get that choice. Yeah. And so, you know, that's always bittersweet when people come and whether they're a patient or somebody who writes on social media or, or, you know, send us a note that they were able to, you know, reverse their graves and they still have their thyroid. So, you know, unfortunately at the expense of my thyroid, but it's, you know, it's the gift that I have to give back. I mean, it is literally, you know, my belief of why I'm here on this earth is to is to help people not have to go through what I went through. Yeah. And it's also a beautiful testament to this idea that one, we we have power and autonomy over our health and mm. like to not to take that power back. Yeah. And and two, that our bodies are remarkable. And if we can eliminate the things that are creating problems, like the homeostasis is restored, right? Like the body can heal, it can come back into balance given the opportunity. And I think in our culture it's this 
we ha- we we have been trained to believe that it's like there has to be some sort of intervention, you know, whether it's drugs or surgery or something has to happen mm-hmm. that's significant in order for us to heal or that the other thing that always confuses me is that we'll take pills and we understand that that's theoretically a mechanism for healing a pill, but that like the food we eat has no impact. Right. Like, I don't get that. Yeah. People say often, you, know, you take your dog to the vet and the first thing the vet says is, you know, what kind of do- diet is your dog eating? You know, what doctor, short of a functional medicine doctor is asking you, you know, what your diet is or thinks that mm-hmm. there's any impact on that. Right. So, I mean, particularly, I mean, it's crazy to me that GI doctors, that that's not something, you know, their first question. I mean, that is, you know, kind of not hard to believe a different type of doctor, but a GI doctor, I mean, you know, that, that just seems, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty intuitive, but yeah, I mean, it all goes back to medicine and back in the 1800s when we were, you know, discovering antibiotics and, and, you know, you had a bug and the antibiotics worked to kill the bug, which they do, you know, then it suddenly medicine became this, you have this, so we give you this drug, which is not really the right way to think of it short of infections. Right. No, as you mentioned, we're host to I don't know how many trillions of tiny bugs and we are dependent on them. And so destroying them isn't always wise either. No. The true fact or what I understand is is actually the cattle and livestock industry that is the reason for all of the antibiotic resistance. So if we can get away from conventional farming practices and get to grass feeding and, you know, back to, uh, what is that movie that recently came out about the farm? The Biggest Little Farm. Yes, right? Like if every farm could be like that, we'd have this biodiversity and, you know, the cows and the chickens and everybody wouldn't need, you know, there might be a time where they get sick and they need some antibiotics, but they are proactively, prophylactically giving it in the regular meat industry. And so that is actually what's creating all the antibiotics resistance. But yes, when you have commercials and you have large page ads and people magazine for drugs, and every time you turn on the commercial, you know, it's for Nexium or it's for this or it's for that, then you believe, you have a society that believes that this drug solves that. And, you know, it's like ear infections with the child. I mean, Elle had double ear infections. Well, 95 or something percent of all ear infections are viral. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, again, I'm fortunate. I'm a doctor. I had an otoscope at home. I was watching them very carefully, but we did garlic drops and did, you know, some stuff to decongest her so that it could drain. And we were able to avoid antibiotics. But, you know, the average doctor is going to see moms there. She also was not complaining or anything like that, pain or anything. But, you know, that mom's there, they hear double ear infections and, you know, they want to do something. It's a double-edged sword. It's mom and dad wanting whatever, whomever wanting. And it's the doctor wanting to feel that they did something for you. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, you know, people who go into medicine, they're not bad people. They want to help people. And so even if giving the antibiotic is the wrong thing to do, mom's happy, but mm-hmm. you know, everybody walks out happy and they have a script. And so they feel like they helped you because right. they did in a way they gave you peace of mind or they gave you comfort or they gave you a prescription. And so you leave. Yeah. You know, I just had, but I thought this was a good outcome. Urgent care. Max had a double ear infection, my six-year-old, he had a fever. And so I went in and they were like, here's here's a prescription, but like, let's yeah. wait 36 more hours. Yeah. Oh, I get every prescription. If it's for me, <laughs> if it's for my daughter, even though knowing that I can write my own, I get every prescription. In fact, the people at the pharmacy hate me because with my daughter, it was like, okay, it was steroids and she was wheezing. She had the flu. She had the flu, which is a virus, right? And then she got the double ear infections again, probably from the virus. She was wheezing. So, I mean, I was like, albuterol, you know, steroids. I had them write every prescription because it was Friday. And I'm like, I don't know which way this thing is going to go, but write them all, fill them. And if I need to come back, I'll come back. And I just didn't, you know, luckily I didn't need to pick them up. And I understand not everyone is a physician, so they don't know the warning signs, but I don't think that there's any harm in, you know, getting those things written. You Mm. got them in your back pocket and, you know, if you can avoid it, avoid it. And then if you need it, you got it. it. I really do hope to start, you know, the grass movement as you guys are doing and 
and Gwyneth is doing as well, you know, to just really make people aware, right? I mean, just awareness. You know, people always ask, you know, are you going up against other doctors? No, I'm hoping to reach people and people will walk into their doctor and demand something different. Just like people are demanding me walk into Costco now, there's organic food. People are demanding a better food supply. Hopefully one day people will, you know, this is way not on the radar, but to build, you know, demand better way of building buildings because we're going to have a whole nother level of that with toxic building syndrome. And then that people are demanding, you know, different and better types of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope, you know, thank you for having me on here that this, you know, helps to rise the tide of people demanding, you know, something different than what we have because yeah, we it has it. to, it's, it's only going to get more intense just quickly. So for people who, cause I know I heard you talk about this at InGoop Health years ago, our first ever in Gupel. Yes. But you, you're a big proponent of seeding. Well, I mean, if you can. I mean, there's yeah. like, why not? So the, the studies have shown, what few studies there have been, that so basically the thought has been that your gut is sterile. That's maybe not the true thought now, or the your gut is sterile. As you go through the birth canal uh, and you're born, you tape a gulp right before you come out and you've inocu- or you've seeded your gut with its microbiome through your mother's vaginal canal and all of the bugs there. So there have been some studies showing just putting a, a sterile gauze in the mother's vaginal canal canal. If you have to have a C-section and then after the child is born, wiping the child down through the eyes, the mouth, the nose, you know, all the orifices so that those good bugs can get into the child. And studies, follow-up studies have shown that the children who did do that versus didn't had lower incidences of asthma, eczema, as well as autoimmunity. So of course they're like, oh, we'll have to, you know, the, the end study or the result was, oh, we'll have to, you know, basically come up with a drug or a a probiotic <laughs> to like give the kid. It's like, okay, this is free. You know, it's like 30, you know, three cent sterile gauze that you put up the vaginal canal and then you wipe them down like free. It's the actual, you know, I mean, somebody was asking me, so we did that for my daughter and she's adopted. And so we did that with the birth mother's, you know, vaginal swab. And somebody said, well, could, if, if the doctor hadn't done that, could I have done that with mine? Yeah, I could have, but this is a baby that had been in a certain environment with certain bugs. And I would imagine that's better than nothing, but it's a whole different, you know, environment that you're introducing. And so, you know, the idea that someone's now going to come up with some universal drug or probiotic to give babies born by C-section versus naturally getting the microbiome. I mean, studies have shown that if you live in Asia versus here versus somewhere else, mm-hmm. your microbiome is vastly different, right? I mean, in Asia, they're much more accustomed to eating rice and eating seaweed and their microbiome is towards that and different areas based on their diet have different microbiomes. We also know that depending on what you eat, you can change your microbiome within, you know, 48 to 72 hours. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting thing, but typical, you know, conventional medicine wants to turn that into, you know, formulating a drug or specific probiotic versus just doing something that's natural or avoiding C-sections, except for those that are emergent, that there are cases where you do need to do a C-section, you know, for the health and life of the baby, not out of convenience. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so anybody listening, if you do not absolutely have to have a C-section, do not have a C-section. You heard it here first. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Amy Myers. For more, head to amymyersmd.com. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.